You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. That would be us. Hail, hail. The gang is all here following exciting weekend for Alabama football with the second half. Saw the Tide return to what I would call, and actually Kerry Clark coined it Saturday night, the Alabama standard. We saw that in the second half, and perhaps the quarterback situation has been ironed over, but boy, it certainly didn't look like that the first part of the game against Ole Miss. It's Matt and Justin. We're awaiting the coach to approach the podium and address the media for his Monday news conference, and the minute that he steps up, we will cut to that over at the Malmore football facility, but right now, just say, hey, Lars, how was your weekend? Weekend was great. What a weekend of football. Man, just uh, on, on at the college level, at the NFL level, and then tonight, got my Bengals playing the Rams. Uh, looks like Joe Burrow's going to play, so uh, we'll see what, what happens there, but uh, just a, a, a wonderful weekend. The Taylor Swift in the box at Kansas City, got millions of Swifties uh, tuning in, learning about football. Uh, pretty, just a, a, a great weekend. And, uh, you know, my own son, he scored five touchdowns, ran for 250 in his Who game. Is Tua? <laughs> he's Christian McCaffrey. He's a young, he's a little Christian McCaffrey. Uh, but, uh, but man, and Tua and, and, and the Miami Dolphins hanging 70 on Denver. Ooh. Wow. I mean, Tua looks as good as he ever has. I mean, and people were writing him off, right? That uh, they they were even, you know, flirting with Tom Brady at one point to see if Tom Brady uh, and uh, Sean Payton could somehow work their way and become uh, the coach and quarterback at, at Miami. And now you look at Tua and he just, uh, you can tell that he was so committed in the off season to reshaping his body to uh, to just putting in all the work of of learning how to kind of take hits, uh, you know, a new helmet, a new diet, uh, just uh, and everything just came together on Sunday as he just absolutely lit up a uh, what I thought was going to be a pretty decent Denver Denver defense, but you know the the main storyline is uh, Alabama. Uh, just becoming Alabama again. Sorry to interrupt, and, guys. Yep. We're going to go right go here to, to Nick. Nick Saban Live. Came out and competed in the second half. Uh, played a lot better in the second half. Um, and we had a couple times in the first half where we sort of self-destructed a little bit with um, the way we executed and some of the things that we did and sort of eliminated some of those things in the second half and played much cleaner. Um, and, and I think you know, played the way, you know, we would like to, to continue to play and hopefully build on that and, you know, sort of show the players today when we watch the film, you know, here's the reason that it worked and here's the reason that it didn't work, whether it's offense, defense, special teams or whatever. And that's the way I think that that you actually, you know, can have a chance to get better. So, um, you know, this first SEC uh, road game, uh, and this is actually a bigger challenge for us uh, than the last two games, in my opinion, in terms of, you know, this team is very, you know, physical, um, very aggressive on defense, create a lot of negative plays. Um, 
We got a lot of starters back. Uh, they know their system. They know their scheme. They play very, very well. You know, Zach Arnett, it's his system. He's a very good defensive coach. As the head coach has done a really good job there. Obviously, the quarterback has been an outstanding player for a long time. But, you know, with, you know, the, the, the new offense that they run, uh, there's a lot more balance in it. They've got two really good backs that are very, very productive when they run the football. Um, they've got a really, really good receiver, uh, you know, number five, Griffin, who um, is very, very productive. And they made a lot of explosive plays. Um, they throw for 250 yards or so in the passing game. Uh, they play really good on special teams. So, you know, this is an overall really, really good team. And it's going to be a real challenge for us playing on the road in the SEC to play against, you know, this team this week. And this is something that our players have to really focus on and do a great job in preparation so we can eliminate, you know, some of these things that have happened in games where, you know, we've they, whether they're drive stoppers or giving up a big play or whatever it is, we, we've got to eliminate those things. Start up front here with Nick. What's the, the growth you've seen from Terry on uh, from last season at cornerback to this uh, season at cornerback? I think he's more confident. Um, I think that he has less sort of, you know, like mental lapses. But I think that it, the biggest thing that contributes to that is better knowledge of the defense, better knowledge of uh, what to do, how to do it, why it's important to do it that way, and the confidence that comes with that allows you to play fast and focus on the right things. And I think he's played, you know, a lot better this year because of those things. Good afternoon, Coach. When you had a chance to review the tape, what was your evaluation of Eliza Pritchett and Terrence Ferguson when they got a chance to play? You know, both guys um, did okay. Uh, I think there were some things that would like to finish better. Uh, I think the big, you know, point of emphasis with our, you know, offensive line is you got to get your second to step on the ground. You got to get your hands inside um, so that we can finish blocks, and that would be the case with both of those those guys. But it also is sort of an overall evaluation of what we need to do to get better in the offensive line. What do you think of how Jalen Hale played at wide receiver Saturday? Yeah, he did a good job. Um, made some big plays. Uh, I think the big thing, you know, with Jalen being a young player is. Got to know what to do on every place. So you can go play fast and do what what your job. And um, you know, so we need to work hard with him to, you know, try to get him to where he needs to be and make sure that he's out there playing with confidence and a good understanding of the overall system of what we're trying to get done on each and every play. Charlie. Yeah, hey coach. Um, do you have a better idea of where things stand with Deontay Lawson? And if, if he can't go, where do you turn from a defensive signal caller standpoint? Yeah, well, you know, we played most of the game, you know, this last week with, um, you know, Jihad playing and, um, you know, Tresman playing. So, you know, that'll be the way that we go. Uh, obviously the depth at that position is going to become critical for us. Um, if Deontay can't go, so um, and we'll keep working with these guys and try to get them ready to go this week. Good chase up front. Robbie Utes has been playing more the last couple games. I saw he was a player of the week on offense for Ole Miss. Is he playing more because his value to the offense is on the rise, or has it been more a function of specific game plans or matchups? No, I think that um, 
you know, we trust the guy to do what he's supposed to do. And um, he's done a really good job of executing in the games and doing the things that he needs to do to uh, for us to have success on plays. And, you know, those kind, that kind of dependability is important, you know, because you can say what you want to say. You can be better than somebody else, but you got to play better. And I think that's the thing that Robbie's doing is he's playing better. And, um, you know, because he's doing what he's supposed to do, he understands what he's supposed to do, and he's been very effective in doing it. Coach, a great challenge against Mississippi State on the road, but uh, obviously when you think about looking across the field, no Mike Leach this year. What what does he mean when you played against him as a coach and how much you're going to miss coaching against him? Well, you know, I love, you know, Mike Leach. He was, you know, uh, he's different, but in a good way. Um, had a great sense of humor. Uh, obviously presented, you know, uh, an offensive system and scheme, whatever you want to call it or name it, that was unique and very challenging, uh, but he believed in it and, you know, kind of did it his way and I always had a tremendous amount of respect for him as a coach, but really liked him as a person. Has there a chance to evaluate that sequence at the goal line after the block punt? Where do you think you can improve and how much thought is there to going under center and, and maybe having a QB sneak in that situation? Well, there, there's a lot of thought about that, you know. I mean, it was... Not smart on our part to do what we did um, and then to get a bad snap after all that. But still, I'm not defending anybody, but with better execution, um, we shouldn't have snapped the ball over the quarterback's head. And um, we've got to get on the same page on the snap count. Uh, But I agree with you that, you know, there's a time when it's first and one at the one. Um, why would, why do you need to be in the gun? Two more, Tony and then Nick. This is one, the game against Mississippi State's one of the longest consecutive series in the SEC. Just what, what are your thoughts about, I guess, not having that every year? And what is this rivalry or this game? Ben, what, what do you think when you look back at this game, having played it? Well, I, look, I, my focus is on this game. I mean, I don't look back at other games. Um, Look, I think there's a time and place to commiserate or celebrate or whatever you want to do relative to rivalries and the changing environment and landscape of college football. But to me, you know, everything is about this game, uh, our team, trying to get our team better, trying to get our team to play, you know, winning football against a very good team. So I don't have a lot of thoughts or spend a lot of time at this time, you know, thinking about those kinds of things. I think Dallas has like four plus sacks the last two weeks. Can you tell during practice that he's kind of taking his preparation seriously and is focused enough to deliver those efforts on Saturday? Well, you know, I I don't, you know, Dallas has always been a really good player for us and uh, guy works hard in practice every day, tries to do everything his coach wants him to do. I think the team is important to him. He's been a good leader on the team and you know, sometimes um, you're fortunate to get sacks. Some, sometimes um, you do a great job of affecting the quarterback and you don't get sacks. So, and I think affecting the quarterback is probably a more important stat than actually sacking the quarterback. And how we can do that as a group uh, is really, really important. And obviously, you know, Dallas, Braz, and the other guys all contribute to that. 
but they all contribute to each other when they do get sacks. Uh, whether somebody else pressures the guy, makes the quarterback move, gives you the opportunity, whether you beat your guy one-on-one or whether we you know, have some kind of a pressure that gives you an opportunity to go one-on-one and have a sack. So, you know, some of those things are, you know, they, they, they happen. They're not predictable. Um, but when you have players that do the right things and work hard all the time and have really good ability, um, the chances of it happening for them are a lot greater. All right, thank you. There you have Nick Saban with his Monday news conference following the victory over Ole Miss and leading up to the Mississippi State game, which is late Saturday night, 8 o'clock kickoff. But just as before we go to the break, remind you that this show is being presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. And also, Lars, just quickly, uh, Nick Saban seemed a lot more businesslike in the last 10, 12 minutes than he has. I don't want to say salty. But it's not the uh, kind of the uh, effervescent and um, very positive, Nick, that we've heard through virtually every meeting with the media this year. Back to business. Back to business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, there's just a a different edge to his voice. And uh, I think everybody realizes that... uh, now is the time to go right like it's uh and and i think everybody feels good about what transpired on saturday and also what this team is capable of because now they know who they are we'll talk about that more we will and talk about the difference in two halves because uh, it was george dickens like all right we will take our break on big noon sports later in the show Uh, He was there post-game and likely there today. ABC 3340's Jeff Spiegel will be with us. And then around 1.30, there's a documentary being uh, premiered tonight in Birmingham about Pat Dye. We'll talk about that with their producer, Norton Dill. Hey, it's a good Monday. Glad you're with us on Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, the sky partially sunny, the chance of a few isolated showers through tonight. The high today, 88, the low tonight, 66. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, the chance of a few scattered showers or thunderstorms. The high, 86. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 87 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. From the podium, as he does every Monday at noon, and he talks about the previous game a little bit, and then he moves on, in this case, to Mississippi State. I know it's a road game. I know it's a rivalry game when it comes to playing the Bulldogs, but what I've seen from Mississippi State so far... I don't think that it's going to present a huge problem for Alabama. But, Lars, let's be honest. Uh, One half of really good football does not a season make. Does Alabama maintain this physicality, this intensity, and its execution that we saw against Ole Miss only in the third and fourth quarters? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look, Ole Miss coming into the game was averaging 52.7 points, right? And after the uh, after the early touchdown in the first quarter, they were shut down completely. They did three points the rest of the game. Uh, that, that shows that uh, adjustments were made, right? And it was sort of vintage, hard-hitting, in-your-face uh, defense after that. 
And I mean, the defense was dominating. Dallas Turner was amazing. This was the Dallas Turner that we thought we would see, you know, right out of the gate. And Braswell didn't play bad either. No, no. Everybody played great. And, you know, everybody played really, really good. And also, you know, yes, Jalen Milroe started slow, right? Uh, a red zone interception. Well, you know what happened against Texas? After he threw that first pick, he wasn't the same player. He let that affect his confidence and affect his play, right? And that is uh, completely against Nick Saban's process, which we all know, right? It's just one one moment at a time and forget what happened uh, in the past because don't let it affect the future. And he did. And the fact that he could overcome that red zone interception and throw for 253 yards and a touchdown and... And, you know, he, he's, he's obviously not a refined passer. He's not uh, exquisitely skilled at reading defenses, but he's getting better. And I think he's realizing that he doesn't need to be a hero out there. He can, he's got a, an amazing defense an amazing defense. I mean, look before uh, before Saturday, you and I were talking. We spent you know Thursday and Friday talking about how we thought Alabama was going to need to put up thirty five to win this game. Well, they really needed to. They needed to put up eleven to win this game because the defense is so freaking good. And uh, and you know, I know Lane Kiffin has suggested that Nick Saban was the one calling the shots and not Kevin Steele. I, I don't believe that. Uh, but, uh, you know, because Kevin Steele, he is such a pro. He has been at this a long time. And, uh, and, and it was just, it was good to see, again, the adjustments that were made and absolutely shutting down that high-powered, high-flying Ole Miss offense. And look, this has the feel of, uh, of last year. Alabama loses to LSU. They had a get-right game against Ole Miss, right? Alabama loses to Texas this year. It was a get-right game, especially in the second half. And I, and I really think in the, in the larger picture, the fact that Jalen Milroe kind of had to face the demon that haunted him and caused him to play uh, not up to his ability in Texas and to overcome that exact same issue on Saturday just shows that there's uh, there's been some growth there. And perhaps, you know, that Nick Saban has handled this as well as, as, he, as he could. Because, you know, you and I both were just scratching our heads. Why didn't Jalen Milroe play against uh, South Florida? Well, maybe just, you know, he wanted Jalen to see everything. And, and you know, I know Nick came out and said that, that he simply promised uh, uh, Simpson and Buckner a chance to get out there and, and you know, uh, a chance to play in, in meaningful minutes. And uh, they did. And now it became abundantly clear that Jalen Milroe needs to be the guy. And he was. He was in the second half. And I think it just bodes well because now I think, you know, we know what this team is. And this team is, it, it's, it's like the 2009 team, right? That won the national championship with, with Greg. And stop them. Yep, with Greg McElroy. And the offensive line was so much better in this game 
I mean, it was just across the board, Matt. I mean, what what was your? I know you've you've spent a lot of time analyzing this and, and talking about it on different shows, but what were your big takeaways from Saturday? They dialed in some players and some positions at halftime because, and I'm sure you followed a little bit on social media. Alabama fans at halftime were just nasty uh, and very finger-pointing. Now, I'm not grouping them as a whole, okay? I'm talking about the ones that decided to, to go to social media, in this case, Facebook. And, you know, they wanted to fire uh, Tommy Rees. Uh, they wanted to fire all the coaches. They said that uh, things like Jalen was the worst quarterback that Alabama's ever had, but they weren't. And what did Nick Saban preach and what did he talk about even after the game is patience. you got to have patience and let things develop. And Alabama developed on both sides of the football. And we could do the remainder of the show and just pull a defensive player out like Kool-Aid and more. And uh, the defensive line. Do you know Quinshawn Judkins just has knifed Alabama. Uh, remember last year, the, the kid from down around Montgomery, the running back? Mm-hmm. Um, he had well over 100 yards. I don't know if he got 50 in this one. Uh, the Alabama defensive line just stood up. We've talked about the uh, linebacker play. Uh, big shout-out to Lawson. Alabama will need him back. But Crawford did a nice job in his stead. So the defense, the defensive fronts and the offensive fronts, Lars, looked like in the second half, they looked like something that we expected and are now seeing because they pushed the Rebels around. Did you see how dog-tired the Rebels were in the fourth quarter when Alabama was just gutting them? And also, uh, it was very interesting because it was still a winnable game if Ole Miss could pull off a couple of miracles. Did you look at Lane Kiffin in the fourth quarter? Uh, he He looked like a lost man. He couldn't figure out how to move the football, and um, he couldn't figure out how to stop Alabama. Um, Kiffin's expressions late in that game, I think, told it all that the Alabama standard has returned. Yeah, and Lane is now 0-5 against Alabama, and uh, he seemed to indicate over social media after the game that uh, you know this was going to be the last time that he had ever faced Nick Saban, and I, did, I found that really strange. Uh, for him to do that, even you know, after getting beat handily, to kind of troll Nick Saban again, um, you know, suggesting that Nick Saban's going to be exiting the stage here relatively soon. But or was um, he suggesting that he was? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, a good, I, good. He's a great fit at Ole Miss. I hope he stays there. Yeah, um, no, I, I do too. I do too. Um, but. Yeah, just uh, just an overall, just a, a great effort by Alabama, and uh, and also kudos to Mike Rodak, <laughs> right? We love Mike Rodak. He is such a good reporter, and he's the one who asked Nick Saban about going shotgun on first and one at the one yard line. I mean, Tommy Reese, what the hell are you thinking? It just it drives me insane, Matt. It is like one of my biggest pet peeves. You got this huge stud <laughs> at a quarterback who can just all he's got to do is fall forward, and it's a touchdown. Well, and you got not only that, you got four chances. 
fall yeah. forward. You know what else? They've changed. I mean, the rules. it just you can push uh, the guy. Yeah, I, mean, I, I just push uh, him into the end zone on four snaps, and something's wrong. There I just a, I, I I can't believe that Nick Saban didn't overrule that. Because that, uh, that, that really, that was just the, the, one of the dumbest play calls I have seen out of Alabama. Really, I mean. It was mind-boggling. It was so bad. Up in that formation. No, I was screaming. I was screaming. What are you doing? What are you doing? Everybody was. Uh, and the fact that they went through it and ended up with just a field goal made you think back and go, hey, why didn't that black punt just go ahead and Blow out of the end zone. That way, yeah, you two, and, you and, two the and the ball. Uh, yeah, so, but um, by the way, <laughs> spectacular play by Brooks and the uh, block punt. Yeah, was, uh, he had to go at I a mean, certain angle, and he had to get the football, or it was going to be roughing. So, yeah, uh, and, and just, but and that was reflective of of everything across the board with Alabama. What what didn't we like in the South Florida game? Effort level, effort. And man, they played with passion and great effort, and that was exemplified in that that block punt. And it, it, and it was just uh, it was like watching a different team, right? Uh, because against South Florida, that was the most troubling game, seriously, that I've seen since Nick Saban's been coached at Alabama. Because it was the first time it appeared that the kids weren't playing hard. Well, they certainly play hard this Saturday afternoon and evening, and um, nothing leads me to believe that that won't be the case against the Bulldogs. Hey, there were uh, several other games in college football worth noting. Go Oregon. Uh, has, uh, has the quarterback issue followed to Auburn University? Because, uh, wow. Oh, oh, my they gosh. absolutely could not <laughs> move the football. What that was that was hard. To, that was hard to watch. It was they, hard to watch. It really was. And then they need right. to go with. They got to go with Ashford. I'm sorry. And then there's um, then there's what happened um, there in Notre Dame too. Whoa, what a finish! Hey, we got a lot to talk about. We can talk about it with you. Please join us at two zero five three four two nine nine zero four. And remember the code for 30K, $30,000 this hour. Go to the Tide 100.9 app and type in 755. And who knows, you may put 30 grand in your pocket. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. 
It is Big Noon Sports. You can join us anytime. We're on noon to 2. Just dial 205-342-9904. You can always dial us up on the Tide app at Tide 100.9. Let's go to the phones, in fact, right now. And Cindy is hanging on. Cindy, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask Lars, first of all, since he's all up in his Nebraska field. Are you familiar with Jordy Ball? Jordy Ball. Uh, you got to help me with that one. Oh, my God, Lars. You should be planning a book on this young woman. She was the freshman of the year pitcher at Oklahoma, won a World Series, came back next year, uh, this year, won another World Series. She was the ace. Um, she got injured late last year, so she didn't get to pitch all the World Series. But she is the most amazing pitcher you have ever seen. You need to just Google her and look at some of the videos. She stalks the pitcher's mound like a lioness. She is fierce. She's very strong in her face. And she left Oklahoma and went back to Nebraska because she wants to help young Nebraskan girls see what they can do in sports. I love that. Uh, my daughters, who are six, uh, are playing softball, and uh, they had a game on Sunday, and uh, they each got hits. And I, I love softball, and I love the fact that she is going back to Nebraska to be an inspiration. And uh, I will make sure that my daughters uh, uh, see some videos of her. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I'm excited. They sold out their season like five seconds after it was announced that that was her transfer place. When she entered the portal, everyone was like, what in the hell? Who would leave Oklahoma? Like, if you're the starting pitcher, if yeah. you're the ace, why would you leave? That's, so the, it's that's, pretty amazing. that's the gold it's standard amazing program. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, um, on this game, I did something I've never done as an Alabama fan, and I'm not going to say how many years I've been an Alabama fan. I went out and mowed the lawn right before <laughs> the half ended. <laughs> Well, I had my you know you're doing this on. every week now. <laughs> I know. No, that was the thing because basketball, I used to only listen to radio and never watched. And it seemed every time I watched, I was a jinx. So now I went out and mowed the lawn and they missed the field goal. And I was like, okay, okay. Um, you know, I wasn't sure if Alabama was going to try to do anything with 13 seconds left or whatever. But I was like, okay, fine. I mowed the lawn and I finished that, walked my dog. Things were getting better. Things were getting better. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to keep listening and I can watch the game. I've got it recording. Um, so, yeah, I was really happy with it. And I wanted to say to Corey Brooks, I mean, he has to be disappointed with the way this year has gone for him offensively. And the fact that he was able, he's on special teams, that he gave all that effort and blocked the punt, I think speaks volume about his character and maybe the team's character that they do seem all bought in together as a unit. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, usually uh, players only meeting is a sign of desperation, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe, you know, that some, they, they, they came together after that really poor performance against South Florida. And, and by the way, I love the fact that you went and mowed the lawn. Like my when, when one of my teams is playing, like, I feel like if I do uh, some physical exercise, like if I go for a run or mow the lawn before the game, it somehow it will make it better. That, that's like that's Matt. That's my pregame ritual is uh, uh, I got to I got to get some exercise in. First of all, I, Cindy, I'm I, that I way, love, too. I love yeah, it. I, I usually do Peloton or something before the game. And I didn't do anything before this Texas game. And I was so angry with myself. 
Because it was my fault they lost to Texas, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's completely irrational, but (laughs) us diehards, we do it. Oh. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say. I just was really proud. Yeah, I was proud of the team, and I had faith in Jalen going into this game. And when he threw the interception, and I started to mow the lawn, my feeling wasn't anger at any of the players or disappointment in any of the players. It was more of just, okay, so this may be our ceiling this year. You know, that may be it. And um, I have nothing to complain about the defense the last two weeks. They've been great, but you still have to be able to score some points. And they were able to do it, and they did it very elegantly, too. You know, so I was just very proud of them, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, one of the best calls we've yeah. had since we started the show. Uh, I hope think, you have a uh, great day, and uh, Nick Saban owes you a lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can use you need a new to, one, to be honest. You need to come to <laughs> Call the athletic department, okay? <laughs> I think we should just have a segment Thank with you, Cindy. Uh, C- Cindy and yeah. Laura Lee uh, on uh, Fridays at Innisfree. And uh, back at Innisfree, noon until 2 this Friday. Lars, I want to say one other thing, and we'll go to Joseph, but I heard a report from Malachi uh, that Malachi Moore said in the post game after Ole Miss. He said, we call player-only meetings all the time. Yeah, so It's just when we called this one after South Florida, it got a lot of attention. So I think that's very worthwhile uh, and, and worth mentioning right now. And um, appreciate No, you're, you're right. But you're Jordy, right. Jordy Ball, uh, when I first heard her talk about it, I thought she was returning to Nebraska as like uh, a coach or, or as a mentor. But she actually transferred back to Nebraska to play. Uh, man, after winning two national championships, boy, that speaks volumes about that hometown, that home state girl. Yeah, she's a good Nebraskan. Good yep. Nebraskan. We, we always go home. Don't, don't say you them, can't. Uh, don't say you can't go home again. You can't. Uh, who's that throw? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Uh, let's go to Joseph. Joseph, you're on Big Noon Sports. How you doing, man? Life's hey, we're doing great. great. How about you? Doing good. Well, I mean, uh, I do want to say this while I'm on the show. Uh, in that back, we'll go back in time a little bit. When you go back to 2017, when Tua had to come in for the national championship game, that game, uh, there's no way Jalen Hurts won that game because when Jalen Hurts went out, we were down 21 to uh, 21 to seven, and Tua had to come in, and, and Tua literally brought us back from the championship. So. I think Tua won that national championship. Needless to say, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say that Taylor Hurts won that national championship when we were losing very badly and not doing nothing with Jalen Hurts in that national championship game. All right, Joseph, coming- real quickly, quickly. <laughs> he played a major role in getting them to the national championship. That's my point. He won a national championship. If you're talking about the national championship game, yes, you would have to lean to Tua. Okay, enough about five years ago. What's on your mind today, Joseph? Okay, what's on my mind today is I think my point is proven about them, about the players, and when they was on South Florida, they pitched the fit because Jalen Burrow didn't get get the start because they wanted their quarterback to start, and they didn't want them other two quarterbacks to start. So I think they pitched the fit on that. And secondly is – uh, secondly, I want to say that uh, we're going to face a lot. Alabama's going to face a lot better defenses than Ole Miss. I mean, everybody's like, man, Alabama really showed out. Well, Ole Miss really don't have a defense. I mean, they're the bottom of the barrel. And on top of that, Ole Miss really hadn't played nobody up up to Alabama. 
I mean, let, let's be honest now. I mean, they played Tulane. Who is Tulane? Tulane is nobody. I mean, I mean, the mean green. I mean, but uh, um, so I mean, and when you get the when you get the people like Kirby Smart, that's the best defense coordinator in the country, and you beat them, you beat him. Well, then you can say you've done something. But until you beat the two-time national championship coach, well, guess what? It's gonna be hard to say you've done something. It's gonna be hard to say you've done something until you go to Texas A&M, beat LSU. Uh, I mean, that Arkansas LSU game went down to the wire, and I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. LSU and Arkansas, both their quarterbacks are better than Alabama's right now, both of them. And uh, and and I'm not sure they may not have a better team than Alabama. And I'm an Alabama fan, but I mean, I just look at it, man. I mean, Ole Miss don't have a great defense; they really don't. I mean, they just don't. Yeah, um, you know what? You're, I think, really looking at this with clear eyes because. You're exactly right. The Alabama offense is still a work in progress, and the uh, the tests are going to become more difficult as the season progresses. And the ultimate test would be in the SEC championship game against Kirby Smart. But the the, the good thing is is that we have finally seen we've seen improvement. Right, dramatic improvement in the second half, and uh, and again, I think this team now has uh, the outlines of an identity that are being drawn. Like they they they're figuring out kind of who they are, and 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 it it, it, it you're right, it, and it all starts with the quarterback. The quarterback has just got to play smart football, and we saw him do that in the second half. Yeah, I got you. But I mean, as long as progress is being made, I think we'll be fine. But I don't think eventually, when when you Jalen Miro actually has the read of defense, when that when Georgia disguises their coverages and you got good athletes like that, I think eventually you're probably going to have to make the swap to Ty Simpson or, or swap somebody better, because eventually, I mean, people's going to have to disguise their coverages, and people's going to be able to. I mean, uh, well, 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 hold on, hold on. What what did you see? out of Simpson against South Florida that makes you believe that he could perform any better than Jalen? Well, because if you give him the all right off at the line, I think I think he 10 times outperforms Jalen because, uh, first of all, the team didn't want to perform for Ty or nor Buckner because they were pitching a fit because they wanted Jalen Miro. I mean, I, I, I can't say that that's wrong, but I, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I I couldn't say that definitively. Um, You'd have to be inside the locker room, but based on performance, you could be on to something. But uh, I just don't know. And um, you know, I, I I think Nick Saban absolutely made the right decision on Monday, a week ago today. First thing he said in his press conference was after after having a chance to review the South Florida film. Jalen Monroe is our guy, and he's not just our guy for next week. He's our guy moving forward. And you know what? Jalen Monroe was not looking over his shoulder after he threw that red zone interception early in the game. He was not looking over his shoulder, and that was huge because his coach told him, I believe in you. And I don't think Jalen Monroe really thought that before uh, the Texas game. Because that early interception completely affected his play. But now Nick Saban comes in and tells Jalen, I'm sure privately and publicly, the leader of our team is number four. 
and he played like a leader on Saturday. When this season is all said and done, if uh, Nick Saban is of mind, I would love to hear his deep thoughts into the entire quarterback situation. Oh, absolutely. All the way back to the spring. And, yeah. And I would hope he would he would just really be totally transparent and tell you, we didn't do this right. We it, did this it, right. We did this right. We didn't do this right. Because it has been a cluster, and that's nice. Matt, I'm, I'm telling you, if Alabama were to somehow, you know, uh, ascend and win the national championship, that press conference from a week ago today is the turning point. That's the turning point. That's the lead. The that's that's the lead of the story. That's the lead of the story of the season. Sort of rise or fall right now. That That is the point of greatest tension. And you always want to lead at the point of greatest tension. And then Nick Saban, you know, what was it? When did he ultimately decide? Was it on the plane coming back? Was it on the sideline down in Tampa? I mean, when did he decide in his mind, all right, enough. We're not going to let this just this play out any longer. We're not going to, you know, do what we've done in the past and let the quarterback win over the team. I'm telling the team who the quarterback is. Well, and that I'll is that is what. not Nick. That, that's not been his style. Milro has the team, but uh, absolutely what we hear, evidently he's had it for a while. Anyway, uh, you're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. When we get back, we'll take more phone calls. If you'd like to dial in at 205-342-9904. And when we get back, let's talk a little bit about Auburn. Let's talk a little bit about what happened at Oregon. Bo Nix for Heisman. Bo Nix for Heisman. Uh, he gets yeah. my vote. If I had a vote, I don't know he'd have Penix. my vote right now. Penix is really good, too. But, uh, hey, how about the Pac-12? That's just crazy. So is the show. So is Lars. It's Big Noon Sports. Coming up, Coming up on The Game with Ryan Fowler. Coming up on the Monday edition of The Game, we'll do the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is sponsored by DanielMoreArt.com. We'll feature Martin Houston. We'll talk Barrett Salee. We'll also recap Alabama and Ole Miss starting at 2 o'clock here on The Game on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The Game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses no laura lee is going to educate you on the market guide you to homes that fit your budget and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit throughout the entire process the bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership trust me the bama broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 
205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, the sky partially sunny, the chance of a few isolated showers through tonight. The high today, 88, the low tonight, 66. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, the chance of a few scattered showers or thunderstorms. The high, 86. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 88 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Indeed it is. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Justin Jones is our outstanding producer. Appreciate all of you dialing us in. We'll take a few more phone calls if you'd like to join in at 205-342-9904. Lars, let me just open it up. You've got the table here to talk about what Oregon did to Colorado. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, Colorado not yet ready uh, to uh, be in prime time, so to speak. Um Oregon just absolutely manhandled them. Uh, the, 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 this is the line of scrimmage. I mean, Bo Nix played a, a beautiful game. It's a really nice story about Bo Nix uh, really finding his uh, his his voice, so to speak, his finding his his way at Oregon. You know, he dreamed of being the Auburn starting quarterback, and he was, and then. You know, he had conflict with Brian Harson, and and uh, you know, I was texting with uh, our friend Carrie Estes, right, a writer who's uh, we're both very close with, and I, you know, what caused Bo Nix to leave Auburn? Was it a combination of criticism from fans and Harson, or was it Harson, like ninety nine percent Harson, one percent fans? Uh, and I think, you know, Bo Nix, he grew up in a football family. He's had the spotlight on him for a long time. And I think clearly it was a disagreement with the coaching staff. Would you agree with that, Matt? I would think so, especially since his dad was a head coach. And his dad was the offensive coordinator at Miami. He knows a lot of football, so he knows the coaching side and how you're supposed to handle situations. And and let's face it, um, it, it wasn't all um, Harson. Uh, Bo Nix didn't play very well at times at Auburn, and he needed a fresh look. Yeah. And uh, Oregon presented that. Um, I, I think the two, uh, the two or three reasons that you just gave us are probably certainly more than um, sometimes he'd, he'd hold the ball too long or try and run with it when he was at Auburn. Uh, I think that had more to do with it. But I think we do have to remember that uh, he made some mistakes. And, man, across the country helped him. He was so young. I mean, you know, you, you, you thrust him in there as a starter, as a true freshman, as the savior of the program. And then very first game, you know, he throws that uh, game winner against Oregon, right, out in, uh, I think it was Jerry World. 
uh, and you know the the legend begins to bloom. But he just he wasn't ready for it. You know, it's a, it's difficult to be a starting quarterback in the SEC, and especially when you're 18 years old and and you have just uh, you're carrying the, the hopes and dreams of of so many people. And you know, it's like remember just being a freshman in college how hard it is just to adjust to not living at home anymore and being away from home and and i mean yeah it's a yeah 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 i mean it's it's a lot it's a lot man and so i'm just i'm so happy for him i'm so happy for uh for patrick and and you know just the whole the entire nicks family you know they kept doing uh camera shots on them in the crowd and they just were beaming with joy and pride watching their son just dissect that Colorado defense. And, and man, Oregon just absolutely shut Colorado up. And, uh, and you know, I, I do, I, I hear what Deion Sanders is saying. After the game, you know, uh, he, he, he took it, and, but he said, you better get us now. You better get us now. And you know what? Scott Frost did that exact same thing. Scott Frost did that exact same thing. You better get us now. Uh, and that didn't work out so well in Nebraska. But every kid, it seems, in the country wants to play for Deion Sanders. And, that and so, you know what? You better get him yeah, uh, yeah you, you, you're darn straight. Because you know what they're going to do in the offseason? They're going to get a brand new offensive line. They're going to get a brand new defensive line. Because they already got the skill players. And uh, and Deion Sanders has already said that his son is coming back, even even though he he would likely be a first round draft pick, right? The starting quarterback. And man, I think Deion Sanders is right. You better get him now because as much as you and I don't really care for some of the stuff coming out of Boulder, the, this team is going to be incredibly good next year because you. They got what? He got seventy or eighty players out of the transfer portal this last year. Seven. I mean, seventy. And so, what? Now he'll just he'll pick twenty. He'll get a first and second string offensive line and a first and second string defensive yeah. line. Yeah, and I'm sure, he's it, got nil money now too. Oh my goodness! All and those people you know, Vail are throwing money at Boulder. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's it, it's crazy. But no, I, 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 no, I, I think I'm serious. I think Colorado will contend for the national championship next year. I don't know about that far, but um, I see them maybe being a 500 team this year. But yes, they will be vastly improved. They're vastly improved this year. But my only, and and actually, I have several. But uh, I mean, he says it's not about me. He said in the pregame, it's not about me. It's about this team. But that's not true. It is about him, and he makes it about him. So I think he contradicts himself there. But when he talks about other coaches and other teams calling him out and not respecting him and and objecting to that, then he turns around and does it right back. So, you know, that's just Dion. He was doing that when he was at Florida State. And, yes, okay, and his kids uh, reflect him. And so they act the way he does. And they just, it's like, again, truth doesn't matter. The, the Nebraska game, I'll go back to it because it's relevant. They, uh, the Colorado players said they felt disrespected because Nebraska was standing on the logo four hours before the game. Well, it turns out that Matt Rule, 
that's where Nebraska holds their team prayer. And they pray for safety for all the for players at, on Nebraska and players on the opposing team. And Matt Rule even asked the uh, 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 asked uh, Shadur Sanders to join. And yep. Sanders came out after the game and just completely lied and fabricated about it. He didn't say that it was a team prayer. Okay, and so what happens on Saturday? Well, there's a video of Colorado players going to the midfield and, and kicking it, kicking the logo. Yeah, I saw that. Scraping their cleats against uh, Yeah. Them. I mean, one, it's just, it's, this is all kind of nonsense, right? I mean, in, in, in Ryan Day, the Ohio State head coach, using Lou Holtz, an 80-year-old man, for motivation because of what he said. I mean, this is—it's getting out of control, Matt. Uh, but but again, Colorado, their players are behaving in in a way that I find very distasteful, and that comes from how their head coach is behaving. Exactly, and how he's behaved all his life. So. Yeah. Yeah. The old school coaches like Dan Lanning don't like that very much. Oh man. I just don't you think all the country <laughs> was rooting for Oregon and well, they just they just laid the wood to Colorado. And guess where they go next? I don't even know. They get to see Caleb oh, Williams. Yeah, they get USC. Um, all right. Uh, when we get back, let's go to ABC 3340's Jeff Spiegel. Um, he was there Saturday afternoon and. Asked the question that actually made Nick Saban smile. Made him just chuckle a little. We'll get back with the second hour of Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. Hey, everybody, it's Gary Harris. Coming up Tuesday on the Gary Harris Show at 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 FM. Drew DeArmond, the Rocky Man. We'll talk some Bama football with him. Also, the Titans report with Kayla Anderson. Boy, that Tennessee offense is struggling. What's the future hold for Derrick Henry? We'll ask her tomorrow morning. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. It's the Tide 100.9 30K Workday Payday. Win cash every weekday, 8 to 5. Here's this hour's cash code. 522. Again, that's 522. The code is 522. Enter that code now on the Tide 100.9 app. Click on the 30K Payday button and enter the code for a chance to win $30,000. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. It's Matt and Lars and Justin, and we're joined by our weekly guest, one of our favorites, ABC 3340 Sports Director. That's Jeff Spiegel. Jeff, how are you doing today? A little hotter. Great, guys. Was. Yeah, good, good. How are y'all? Oh. Man, life's good, and um, if you're following Alabama from the second half of Ole Miss on, uh, life is really good. Uh, kind uh, of a troubling first half. Let's start right there. What did you think sure. after the pick into the end zone? Uh, I thought Ty Simpson was going to start the second half. 
I really did. I, th- I thought he was going to pull like a uh, Tua and uh, and bring in Simpson to start the second half. I really did because it wasn't just the pick. I mean, there there were there were misreads, you know, that he made. And uh, I just went to the quarterback club just a little while ago and uh, talked to uh, Dick Coffee. Everyone knows Dick Coffee, and they know uh, publishers the Dick Coffee you know guide and everything that little booklet that we all love, Matt and Lars. Yeah, and uh, I, mean, I use that like a, a thousand times a year, but um, but he was he was sitting in the stands like he always is, and he said, "Holy cow, there was some foul language being thrown about during that first half from the fans because it was just it was frustrating, you know." And um, I and and I I just knew in the second half that you know number fifteen was going to trot out there, but. You know, give Saban credit. I mean, he felt like his defense was playing well enough, you know, again, like in South Florida, to win that football game. And when you have a defense like they do, and I think I can make this statement only four games in, that's a national championship-level defense right there, mm-hmm. I think. I really do think it is. And when you have a defense like that, you can afford to be a little bit more patient with your quarterback. And... um and I asked him, you know, I asked Saban the question after the news conference, you know, is how much does patience come into play when you're grooming a quarterback? And, you know, he talked about how, you know, he visits with the quarterbacks and, you know, he, he, he teaches them. And, you know, and when you're a teacher, you have to have patience because, you know, so people don't get it like right away. You know, I've had to learn like four different editing systems since I started in a TV. And the people who were teaching me those editing systems, must have gotten so frustrated because I wasn't getting it. It was like Jeff Spiegel in geometry and trigonometry class all over again. <laughs> I just wasn't getting it. But after a while, you know, it, it, it started to sink in. The turning point, I think, we're going to look back on this Jalen Milrow thing, and the turning point was when he threw that touchdown pass to Jalen Hale, and he took a shot. And then he was down for a little while. And then he jumped up and ran off the field celebrating and all that. That made such an impression on his teammates. You know, the toughness that he showed on that play, hanging in there when he knew he was going to get rocked. Because this guy was coming in like 90 miles an hour. And he completed that pass. And I, we may look back on that. that look, I don't think he's going to win the Heisman. You know, this is not Bryce Young 2.0 we're talking about here, but I think we're going to look back on that play at the end of the year, and we're going to go, that's when it happened. That's when he finally, like, won the team, lock, stock, and barrel, and, and Alabama moved on and did some really cool things. And he dropped a dime, too, now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that pass to Hale, and then I think the way he – he must have just gotten the breath knocked out of him. I think that's been confirmed. But the way he jumped yeah. up and, and yep. fisted like Tiger Woods and ran to the sidelines. And then, as you predicted, we did see Tyler Simpson. And that was a pretty good play on the two-point conversion. That was a really good play because he got face masked. And, you yeah. know, he could have just, like, gone down at the, at the one or the two, but he fought through that. And then right after that play – is when you had the big hit on the kickoff return by Jam. And, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was a targeting call, but it was such a ferocious hit that, I mean, those three plays right there, back to back to back, 
And, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin's team was done after that point. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about that. I, I, you know, you never want to be prisoner of the moment and overreact, but you are 100%. I'm with you 100%. Like, that's the moment. Uh, that 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 throw and also coach Saban's decision to stick with him in the second half that 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 sequence of events is uh if if this team goes on to do something special that is uh going to be sort of when it actually happened right uh the the, the magic started to unfold but hey i want to ask you like a journalism geek question um mm-hmm. when you ask a question like the, the the patience one and it gets so much play all around the country how does that make you feel like and, and you get no credit you get zero credit for it <laughs> Uh, I'm, I, I'm serious I, because well, I, I, I'm sure that's happened to you, uh, you know, many no, times it before. To him all the time because <laughs> you, you ask you because Jeff, oh, you, you seriously, you are so good yeah. in that in those settings, and you just you know what to ask because you're you're yeah. a veteran and you're a pro. But just on a personal level, I mean, wouldn't you like just a little like, hey, I'm the guy who asked the question. <laughs> Well, first of all, I had no idea it, it got a lot of play. No, no clue at all. Because uh, you know, after we got done, you know, with the game, you know, I'm trying to, you know, and, and Matt knows this. He, he he was in TV for years, and you know, you're trying to beat the deadline, and uh, and then the next thing you're focused on is, you know, you want to get home and try to get some sleep, and then you got to get up the next day and uh, you know, and and produce, you know, a 30 minute show, you know, that we do with. Uh, with uh, Doug Sigaris and Ryan Brown, and uh, so I have I have no idea how much play, like the uh, soundbite guy. Uh, Dick Coffey mentioned it to me uh, at the quarterback club that uh, you know rarely do you see Saban smile in post game, you know interviews, and so you know that was kind of cool. And um, yeah, people ask, you know, we joke about this in the office. We go, you know, yeah, well, yeah, Nick. Nick Saban knows your name based on what he said last year when he said, oh, Jeff, I know you're going to ask a real professional question. Well, he did that to get under like the beat writer's skin. And I know that because one of the beat writers that asked a question that he didn't like before. So I never, you know, tried to think that this guy knows who I am when I'm asking a question. But, but one thing Josh Maxson told me a long time ago is that, if you have a well-thought-out question and you can ask it in 15 seconds or less, you know, he respects that. You know, if, if it's well-thought-out and it's well, uh, you know, it's just well put, it's well put together. Not that I spend like two hours formulating the question, but, I mean, if it's well-thought-out and it's something and, and it's not just silly, you know, then uh, he respects that. So... That's the way I've always tried to approach that. Now, look, over the years, I've been dressed down by Nick Saban before at news conferences. So it's it's gone the, com- completely the other direction. But even in that case, when it happened, even in that case, when it happened, it feels like, you know, he used me to try to get a message across to the team. I sure hope I didn't take too long to answer. No, that. That, that's really good. And uh, just to following up on that, um, you know, people, writer friends have asked me, you know, what's it like to cover Nick Saban? 
And the thing is, I'm not there day in and day out, right? Never, never have been. But I think Nick Saban, he, unlike, you know, Bill Belichick, he gives you so much material. And he is so uh, thoughtful when you ask the right question, right? Because he, and he'll dig deep. Whereas most coaches, they give you nothing in these press conferences, but Nick will absolutely, you know, give you sort of uh, literary gold, so to speak. Would you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree with it. And also, uh, I never leave a press conference without uh, learning something that I, that I can maybe use on a personal basis. You yeah. know, I mean, he, I mean, he kind of. Um, he not only coaches his team up at these press conferences, but, you know, if, if you will, you know, allow yourself, you know, to to try to get a nugget from it that maybe you can use, you know, in your personal life. I've had many occasions where I've left the Nick Saban press conference and I go, well, yeah, that's a re- that's a really cool way yeah. to look at things. You know, you know, he makes you think, right? He makes he really you does. think. But yeah. but I but I'm telling you, I was at the Knicks kids thing uh, a few weeks ago, and there were a couple of guys who were starting uh, new on the beach. And uh, at the moment, I can't remember you know who they were going to be working for. But uh, but Josh was you know breaking it down just what I told you a while ago. He was kind of giving him tips on uh, you know survival tips, you know, <laughs> on favorite press conferences, and and it was beautiful, you know, because I think Josh does a an incredible job. He does what he do does. a great job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he's not, you know, he's, he's, um, you know, I mean, he, he looks out for Nick, but at the same time, he knows you have to do your job and he knows yeah. you're going to have to ask a tough question every now and then. And, uh, but, and, and he respects that, but, uh, but he also tries to, you know, look out for you and, uh, and make sure you stay out of trouble when you're going down an unnecessary path. Well, a bigger picture question. You, uh, like like Matt and I, but especially you, because you're there all the time in the room, uh, your observation of Nick Saban and sort of where he is right now uh, in terms of how long he wants to keep doing this, because, man, there's just been so much speculation about this could be, you know, his last year. Um, uh, Lane Kiffin seemed to be trolling Nick Saban by wow. suggesting, you know, this is the last time that I'm that we'll face each other. You know, doing everything sort of in the past tense. But uh, what, what what's your assessment? My assessment is he still loves his job, and he still thinks he can do the job better than anyone. And um, and I mean, I and I really feel like he can. And I really think he gets fired up when there's a challenge in front of him. Like, he didn't want to lose to Texas. You know, he didn't want to lose to Texas, but he knew that was a dang good football team that came in there and, and, and beat him. And so, and he's got so much respect for Sark. And, uh, and so he kind of took it on the, he took it on the chin, but he goes, well, you know what? You know, we just got to get back to work. You know, we're going to be okay. We're going to figure this out. You know, it's like he told Chris Lowe last week that in 16 years, I mean, did, did you not expect a bump in the road? I mean, it, this this fan base and has been so incredibly blessed by what has happened over the last 16 years with this man in charge. 
and it's been an amazing run of quarterbacks as well. So there, there's been a drop-off at the quarterback position. You know, it doesn't mean Jalen Milrow can't play and he can't win. It just means he's not Bryce Young. Well, who is? You know? And so I think, you know, Nick is trying to figure this out. And uh, for the first time in a long time, you know, the fan base has just got to be patient with him and, and let him and his staff figure this out. Uh, and and But I think he gets a charge out of, you know, climbing up that mountain year after year after year. And I think he's still in incredible physical shape and he's mentally sharp. And, uh, and I think he's I, I think he's got more football coaching left in front of him. I do as well. Hey, can you talk a little defense when we get back? Can you hang on? Sure. Absolutely. All right. Um, ABC 3340s, one and only. Jeff Spiegel is with us, and we will continue the conversation in just a moment. I hear a lot. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Man. Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street, across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to RR and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around, and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, the sky partially sunny, the chance of a few isolated showers through tonight. The high today, 88, the low tonight, 66. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, the chance of a few scattered showers or thunderstorms. The high, 86. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 89 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Sunny, actually kind of a hot, almost summerish day Monday here in September. Jeff, I wanted to talk a little bit more defense. You said earlier, just a moment ago, that you thought it was national championship caliber. Um, but a couple of three guys really stepped up and then some this past weekend. I'll start with Terry and Arnold, who ended up with the pick, and he also had the leading number of tackles. Um, in fact, go ahead and, with Arnold and this secondary I'm not sure I can remember one recently that was better. Well, he also had a big, a big pass breakup late in the first half uh, in the end zone, which was which was huge. And Lane Kiffin mentioned in his press conference that last year they picked on him, and uh, and I think a lot of people did. Uh, but he is uh, he's definitely you know stepped it up this year, and and uh, he's a very uh, he's a very vocal leader back there. You know he's uh, you know he's really uh, he's really a smart guy. He's he's incredibly good in the interview room too. But but he has certainly stepped up uh, 
his play, and, and, and you're right. I mean, Caleb Downs had a really good game, too, but Arnold was the leading tackler, and, and uh, he did have that big pick and, and an incredible return as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the DBs are, are a solid group of players. And what is sort of the, the hallmark of this defense? It, 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 to me, it's almost just like they're good at all three levels. And uh, I, I thought really the defensive line played so well on Saturday. But if, if you were to pick sort of one position group that uh, that really sticks out over, you know, in, in looking at all the past Saban defenses, what what position group would that be? Oh, gosh, it's kind of hard to say, but, uh, you know, certainly the uh, Dallas Turner's terrific. I mean, he, he's yeah. going to be fantastic. Uh, and, you know, the DBs, uh, I forgot to mention Malachi Moore. Malachi Moore had a huge hit on Jackson Dart there late. And it's kind of one of those situations where the defense, you know, just got stronger and stronger and stronger. I mean, you really felt like, you know, if they came out and, and told Nick Saban, hey, uh, I'll tell you what, um, Let's give Ole Miss two more quarters, you know, to try to score. You okay with that? And Nick could go, yeah, because they're not going to. But because the defense was getting stronger and stronger as the game went on, and uh, and they just punished Dart. And it's going to be one of those things. And one, one thing, one thing that Bear Bryant used to say, and Coulter probably remembers this, is that if the team that we beat played well the next week. That we didn't do a good enough job against them. <laughs> Man, I've never heard yeah. that before. Right. Yeah. So, in other words, don't be surprised. And LSU is going to be tough for Ole Miss to beat anyway, but they've got them at home. But don't be surprised if there's some kind of hangover, especially on the offensive side of the ball, uh, over what happened to them Saturday at Bryant Denny Stadium. I mean, yeah, yeah, Matt. Just real quick. I mean, you've yeah. seen that Alabama, especially the defense, they've broken teams in the past. Remember uh, the Florida State, uh, the season opener against uh, uh, number one versus two. Alabama throttles them. They're not the same again. And yeah. now they're that and, just and, and next it, game. That you know, it, it's taken. It's no, but it's taken. It's taken years until this year for them to get back. To where they were, uh, and, and there's, and you know, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a long list of teams that uh, would fall under that category. Go ahead, Matt. No, uh, I wanted to go across the state. It seems like the quarterback woes have uh, managed to find Auburn and leave Alabama. Um, your thoughts on Auburn and. You know, Hugh Freeze can only work uh, so much magic. You know, he's got to have a few horses out in the pasture. Yeah, and and uh, we just I just you know talked with Johnny Condon who was there at Hugh Freeze's press conference and you know he sent me back a soundbite that we're going to run it four and it's uh, and it, and it's Freeze going you know there's times I feel like we've let both you know we've let all those guys down because of all the other components that go into the passing game and that's where he says I'm determined to try and help get fixed this week. You know, before you give some final grade on a quarterback's play, uh, you know there were uh, there were a bunch of issues. First of all, let's go back to the offensive line. I mean, you give up seven sacks and fifteen tackles for loss. I mean, you can't get any offensive traction that way. Now, Hugh Freeze warned us back on Monday 
that there was a big mismatch here in terms of talent level on offense and defense. That, you know, this great recruiting class that Jimbo Fisher bought in, brought in that was so controversial. Well, those guys, uh, those guys are dudes, you know, and they're fast and they've got closing speed. And, uh, and they just kind of took over, you know, the third quarter, you know, against Auburn and none of the quarterbacks were effective. So it leaves you to think, you know, who's, who's the best option? And look, but there are a bunch of people who are not playing well on that offensive side of the ball. But uh, I'm feel confident they're going to go with Peyton Thorne and try to give him a go. And, and Auburn's only hope against Georgia, and it's a slight glimmer of hope, is that they can do what UAB did on the road, force them into some turnovers, try to get a lead, and then give it to the crowd to try to, you know, intimidate the heck out of this, you know, new quarterback. And maybe, maybe they can win the game then. But to me, it looks like one of these situations where the Georgia defense is just going to eat up these guys. Defense travels, as they say. And uh, I think it's going to be a day that, that Georgia puts it all together. And that's a nightmare scenario for Hugh Freeze and Auburn. All right. Say, uh, speaking of Auburn, former Auburn quarterback Bo Nix absolutely lit up Colorado. Four total touchdowns, and according to most sports books, he's now the uh, number three in the Heisman race. Uh, and I, I can't believe this stat, but he's completing seventy nine point three percent of his passes. Seventy nine point three. Okay, so Jeff, you've had a front row seat to when uh, Bo being in high school, Mm -hmm. uh, his dad, Auburn quarterback, uh, goes to Auburn, doesn't work out, now at Oregon, and having so much success. Just your thoughts, just, just, you know, just in general of of the Bo Nix story. Well, I love this kid, and I love his family. I mean, he is just—he's just a really cool guy, and uh, and I'm just very happy, you know, for him to have the success that he's having. And you know, the, it, there were there were a lot of eyebrows raised, you know, when he when he left Auburn and went all the way to the other side of the country, you know, to uh, to play football. And um, you know, there there were some people who were upset with him, but but more people should be upset with Brian Harson. You know, for uh, you know, for what? kind of messing this up and letting this guy get away. Matt and I were sorry, I hate to interrupt. Matt and I were talking no, about ahead. this earlier. Yeah, was Har- is Harson the reason why he left? Absolutely, absolutely, positively. Well, the, I mean, the the reason he got hurt, I mean, was because you know the first of all, you know, the offensive line has had issues for a while, and uh, and and that's that's one of the reasons you know his his year ended you know, prematurely, you know, in the Mississippi State game. But, I mean, it's just um, there, there was never, ever a comfortable relationship, you know, between Harson and, uh, and Bo Nix. And, and, you know, and, and with Harson, it was one of those things where, you know, he, he had no interest in repairing that, no interest in it at all. And, and I don't know, look, and I don't know how much interference, you know, that Patrick ran, I have no idea what that side of the story is. But but I know this. You can see right now what kind of quarterback Bo Nix is. He was that kind of quarterback at Auburn. 
can you not see that talent and say, you know what? I'm going to do what I can to make this guy happy. I'm not going to make him the center of the universe and more important than the football team, but he's my quarterback, and I'm going to do everything I can to, A, protect him, and, B, to give him him an environment where, you know, he can win and the guy can be happy. And that's where he is right now in Oregon. And he's loving life, and, and I couldn't be happier for him. Is Brian Harson the worst coach in the history of Auburn football? Absolutely, positively. I mean, you you I mean, you may find an argument from the uh, from the older heads who would say Doug Barfield was worse. You know, Doug Barfield at one time. Okay, remember this, Matt had yeah. James Brooks, William Andrews, and Joe Cribs in the same backfield, and he couldn't win. Nope. Nope. What? Yeah. You remember that story of some Florida scout just walked onto the field, walked over to the coaching staff, just started talking to them about what they're doing and all that kind of stuff, and he was on the Florida staff. Um, duh. It yeah. was amazing. No, also, I think, yeah. What's uh, what's the Patrick Nix claim to fame in Auburn football history? You remember what he did? Well, he came in in the uh, in the nineteen ninety three Iron Bowl and. First play had barely even warmed up. It's Frank Sanders with a touchdown pass, and uh, and that's pretty much your ball game. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. And I, I think it was Stan. It got hurt, and uh, yeah, they just stepped ACL. up and, and they did something. Um, they did something that Alabama was never expecting. And Tommy Johnson yeah. loves that moment to the day because Sanders went <laughs> up and over. Um, he also threw great. a pretty good touchdown pass to Frank Sanders to uh, beat Florida in the swamp, too. Yeah, yeah I, oh, I remember he was that. Quarterback. Yeah, he was really good. And a, and a really fine oh, yeah. man, too. I, I love seeing him um, as they showed him often on the television um, yeah. when they were just absolutely beating the stew out of the buffs. All right. Hey, tell everybody what to watch this Friday as far as your high school is concerned and how they can dial in the zone on Sunday nights. Yeah, we got Blitz Game Day on my 68 at 6.30 on Friday. And then uh, at 7 o'clock, we'll have Parker and Pleasant Grove as our game of the week. And then Sunday nights at 10.35, the zone on ABC 3340. Appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks for the time. You bet. Yeah, great stuff, Jeff. Thanks. Hey, speaking of Auburn, there is a new documentary on Pat Dye called Mighty. And I was able to get in touch with their producer this morning. That's Norton Dill. And he will join us as its premiere is tonight, but it won't be the first and only time you can see it. Stay tuned. Big Noon Sports brought to you by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Join Tide 100. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Hey, thanks for joining us on... uh, Monday morning quarterback edition of the Big Noon Sports, which is from noon to two, and we got about half an hour left here. And I wanted to bring on Norton Dills, the producer of Mighty, which is the documentary about Pat Dye. Norton, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? How you been? I am doing just great, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised to get a call invited to the show. I really appreciate that. Well, um, this show originates out of Tuscaloosa, but Alabama fans know and appreciate uh, Auburn's Pat Dye. I do. I was there almost for every single season that he coached at Auburn and and appreciate the the coach, but really more the man. Uh, Just kind of give us the genre 
and, and tell us how this started and uh, where you've gotten to today. I know we could take 30 minutes on that, but uh, you've got the floor <laughs> here for at least a few here, Norton. Okay, interrupt me if I get too long-winded because I'm really passionate about this project. Um, of course, you know, Coach Dye died in June of 2020. And, of course, that was a sort of a down year for everybody. But uh, right toward the end of the year, uh, Slat Slayton, who is a, a guy that I've worked with for many years, uh, Slats and I uh, uh, had worked with Jimmy Rain for years and years doing his uh, Great Southern Wood commercials, Yellowwood. And, and prior to doing Yellowwood, we did, did all the uh, uh, commercials with SEC coaches. So uh, that's been going on a long time. But we got, got word from Jimmy that he was interested in doing a documentary to honor uh, Pat Dye. He and, he and Coach Dye were very close friends. And uh, it really hit Jimmy hard when he passed away. So it started, you know, we started filming in January of uh, uh, 2021. And for the next year and a half, we were doing interviews all over the place and piecing this story together. And it was just a really great experience. Uh, Norton, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, be a writer on a, docu a Showtime documentary on uh, Lawrence Phillips. And uh, in just putting together the story arc is, is kind of challenging. Uh, just tell us, like, how, how do you tell the Pat Dye story? Well, um, it, it's interesting. I've, you know, I've, I've done a number of uh, documentaries, and I always take the, the approach of um, let, letting the people that you interview do the narrative of the story. And one of the things that I've always said about documentary filmmaking, probably one of the things that I love most about documentary filmmaking is that you, uh, you start out thinking you know what film you're going to make. And very quickly, you begin to discover things that you didn't know about. And that was certainly true on this project. And those things that, those discoveries that you make along the way are often the very things that, that not only change the story as you, as you know it, but also bring that story to life. And we, we certainly found that to, to be true. Um, this, this um, documentary, is told not only you know just by the people that we interviewed, but also there, there are a lot of scripted places and 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 narration. And um, um, Slats and I worked on this together. Slats was actually the director of the film, and he pretty much put the story together. We collaborated on it. I directed all of the interviews and did the cinematography, and I also did the music for, for the project. So it was a very collaborative project. But um, one of the interesting discoveries that we made right off the bat was, uh, this happened during the first two days of shooting. Um, I think that those two days we had seven or eight interviews uh, one of them was Nancy McDonald, who who was uh, Pat Dye's longtime friend and, and partner. And the rest of them were these tough football guys. And out of seven uh, interviews with men on those two days, 
five of them broke down and just cried like babies. And, and I don't mean, I don't mean that they just teared up a little bit. I mean they were crying hard, and that was such an eye opener for me to see how these tough, you know, strong men felt so strongly about uh, Pat died that when they talked about it, it just brought tears to their eyes. Who all did you interview? And I know you can't list them all, but there are some very, very prominent Auburn people, some very prominent people, period, that contributed as far as the interviews are concerned for Mighty. And just give us us I don't want to give the documentary away because you, you want people to go attend, and it's tonight. We'll get into that in a second. But uh, give us some of the guys that contributed and maybe one of the stories that perhaps a lot of people don't know about Pat Dye. Okay, good deal. Uh, well, I'll give you a quick rundown, and this will just be a handful of we We did, uh, oh gosh, over 30 interviews over a period of a year and a half. Um, Bo Jackson, uh, Wimp Sanderson, uh, Larry Blakeney, uh, Vince Dooley, uh, Fran Tarkenton, uh, uh, Paul Feinbaum, uh, all, you know, just all sorts of uh, folks, you know, a whole lot of uh, SEC coaches, uh, a couple of players. Um, did I mention Charles Barkley? We interviewed him. Uh, but then we also interviewed people that you've never heard of. And, and their stories were just as important as the football stories. Pe- people that Pat Dye worked with on his farm. And, uh, and we started discovering all these things about Pat Dye that the general public may not know about. I think that's going to be one of the special things about, about seeing film. Norton, you mentioned that uh, several of his former players uh, just in the first, you know, 48 hours of shooting uh, broke down and were crying when they talked about Pat Dye. Well, what is it? What, what, why is there such a, if you can describe it, what, what is the, that emotional bond that, uh, that they have with their former coach? Most of these people whether they were they were players or coaches or or regardless of how they were associated with Pat Dye, most of them um, credit him with their success, not just in football, but with success in later life. And uh, he was known for being tough as nails, and I'm sure you know that. Uh, Nancy McDonald said, said something real funny. She said, you know, one time I had somebody say, oh, Pat Dye, he, he's just a big old teddy bear. And Nancy said, yeah, he's a teddy bear, but watch out, there's a grizzly in there also. <laughs> and and uh, it was that toughness uh, that that they respected. And, and he worked them hard, but at the same time, at the end of a desperately difficult uh, practice, he would go around to them individually and let them know that he loved them, he appreciated them. And I think that's the combination of those things, driving them hard and loving them like crazy, you know. Uh, So many of them said that he was a father figure to them, you know. 
a lot of people compare him to Coach Bryant and, and still do uh, about the way yeah. he could just coach them, coach them, coach them, and then love them, love them, love them. Um, Norton, tell everybody about the documentary, about as far as where they can see it, and more information about following it. Okay, good enough. Thank you. Uh, tonight on Alabama Public Television, uh, it will air starting at 8 o'clock. And it's it's a good two-hour uh program it's a it's a long documentary um and the main reason for that is because jimmy rain who who was the executive producer and made all of this happen jimmy rain wanted us to make the story as long as it needed to be to tell his whole story so uh eight o'clock tonight on apt and interestingly enough it's also airing tonight um uh, in georgia uh, on Georgia Public Television, because strong, strong uh, roots on on uh, the Georgia side and the Alabama side for Pat Dye, and um, they chose an interesting week to do it because Saturday is the Auburn Georgia uh, football game in Auburn, so it's great great timing for, for the film to to air this week. Historians of the game of football at Auburn will cite, uh, I think it was a 13-7 loss to Georgia in Dye's first season that that program became Pat Dye's, even in a loss. He was a remarkable man. I look forward to watching tonight. Norton, thank you for your time. And when you get another one, let us know. We'll talk about it again on Big Noon Sports. Thanks so much. Great to hear from you. Thank you, Norton. Well, know what I'm doing tonight. You got Monday Night Football and the Bengals. What a quagmire. <laughs> are you Are you going? Are you going to the premiere? No, I, I thought I read where the premiere was at the Lyric, but I guess it's the premiere is on TV. But there may be a premiere at the Lyric. I, I'd have to sort that out. Probably should have gone into detail with the producer of the show. So uh, I didn't cloud the issue. But anyway, we do know that we can watch it tonight on APT. Uh, and our thanks to Norton Dill. I'll bet that thing is amazing. Hey, um, there are a lot of kind of scattered pieces other than Alabama and Auburn football, but we got to get to a couple of things from the National Football League when we return and wrap up this Monday edition of Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. Hey everybody, it's Gary Harris. Coming up Tuesday on the Gary Harris Show at 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 FM. Drew DeArmond, the Rocky Man. We'll talk some Bama football with him. Also, the Titans report with Kayla Anderson. Boy, that Tennessee offense is struggling. What's the future hold for Derrick Henry? We'll ask her tomorrow morning. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, the sky partially sunny, the chance of a few isolated showers through tonight. The high today, 88, the low tonight, 66. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, the chance of a few scattered showers or thunderstorms. The high, 86. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 89 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Final thought from you, our listeners, to Big Noon Sports. 
If you'd like to join us, call 205-342-9904. Wanted to just pick up a couple of pieces in uh, continuing on college football. What did you think about the end of the Ohio State-Notre Dame game? Ooh, 10 men on the field playing defense. Yeah, uh, inexcusable from the uh, Notre Dame coaching staff. And uh, I thought it was uh, just a a gutsy performance by Ohio State and their quarterback and going down the field, knowing that you have to get a touchdown. And and, uh, there's some questionable play calling uh, leading up to that final touchdown, a jet sweep on the side, you know, for Matt. Run the ball between the tackles. If you're Ohio State, and it's you got to get in the end zone, run the ball between the tackles. They learned their lesson. They did it the final play of the game, got in by about an inch, and, oh, by the way, they kicked the field goal to make it a push for those of us who put a lot of money on Ohio State getting oh. our, <laughs> Yes, yeah. It was, uh, it was the greatest push in the history of pushes uh, because, uh, yeah, it, it didn't look good there for a while. But uh, I think this is a game that can propel Ohio State forward. And, uh, you know, that's probably the most impressive win of the season by any team. And uh, I I thought Ryan Day's comments were really strange after the game. Again, like just pointing the finger at at Lou Holtz, who's 80 years old. I mean, come on. He said, where's I'd like to know where, where Lou Holtz is right now. You know, just uh, but but Lou Holtz, but strange every once in a while. The Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz did call out. I mean, he called Ohio State soft, and he called out Ryan Day by name on the Pat McAfee show, and so I get it that it was personal to Ryan Day, and he clearly was really ticked off by the comments, and I don't know what the uh, was was Lou Holtz out of line. By, by saying those things, Matt? He didn't think they were physical. That's his opinion. Don't break yeah. down a Hall of Fame national championship quarterback. I found it very odd. Um, I kind of understand it, but if you just ask me point blank, I, w- I would say it was inappropriate. Yeah, me too. Leave the guy alone. I mean, he has his opinion. Yeah. Uh, but because Holtz is Notre Dame... That's why he did it. I mean, we all see why he did it. I just didn't think he needed to. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But uh, I, I think Ohio State is really well positioned now. It's all going to come down to Ohio State, Michigan. Whoever wins that game is going to be in the college football playoffs. Uh, Who's going to win it? Your call right now. Ohio State. Really? I would say yeah. Michigan. But that's, that's why we do this. All right. Florida State and Clemson. First of all, what a terrific football game, and I really thought Clemson had it until Klubnik fumbled the football and Florida State returned it for a touchdown. Obviously the turning point of the game, but uh, Dabo with misuse of his timeouts, uh, that certainly hurt, and uh, they just lose a heartbreaker in overtime. By the way, yeah. the nine was seven and a half, so I won that game. Florida State is going to be in the college football playoffs. I mean, put it down. They're they're in, um, and I thought uh, I can't remember the name of the announcer, but uh, Greg McElroy was the the color analyst, and 
And Greg, uh, after Clemson missed the chip shot field goal that would have put him up three with about a minute to go, you know, Greg said something effective. Uh, it could have been a Hollywood ending. And the, uh, the play-by-play guy said, well, the writers are on strike. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was a perfect line. It was such a great line. Um, but uh, the strike is over now. But, uh, yeah, uh, Florida State, just a very impressive hanging in there uh, in a hostile environment. And uh, I, I think uh, Florida State is just, again, I think they're on their way to making the playoffs. And, and I think, you know, it, it, we're, you're good, definitely going to get one team out of the Pac-10 or Pac-12. Uh, and I'd say the leader in the clubhouse is USC. I mean, maybe Oregon. Who knows? I mean, it's going to be fun to watch because the, the best football in the country is being played on the West Coast right now. I can't believe I'm saying that. I've never said that. But I like it because we can watch it late. Yes. I like watching these games late. Yeah, yeah. Because they used um, to not be significant. But now... And and Caleb Williams is just playing phenomenal. Um, he is the, as I mentioned earlier, he's the leader through, uh, you know, basically like a, a third or fourth of the way through the college football season, leader uh, in the sports books to win the Heisman. He would become just the second player in college football history to win back-to-back Heismans. But he is uh, absolutely just playing lights out. And, and yeah, I, I think USC is actually absolutely going to roll Colorado. I, I don't know what the line is yet, but if it was it was 21 against Oregon, and it's probably going to be more than that against uh, USC. Um, so, I, like, as of right now, I think, you know, USC, Florida State, um, and, and, uh, and, you know, whoever emerges between or, uh, Ohio State and Michigan, and then you got Texas in the, in the, in the Big 12, and then the SEC winner. So, I mean, there's still a lot, obviously, that will happen, but, uh, you know, the, the, the field of contenders to be in the playoffs is, uh, is getting smaller, getting smaller. Yeah, and it's funny when you were listing all those teams, the SEC representative was last. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and maybe that was just coincidence, but it's hard hard to say, and even harder to believe that Pac-12 is producing the best college football. But uh, they are, and it's wide open, and uh, they have fun. three. They have three legitimate Heisman Trophy candidates, and Bo and Caleb Williams and Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, Penix is is number two. On that list, so right. really, yeah, uh, what, the three. What's your list there? The three best players are uh, in, in college football right now are all in the, the same conference, and uh, um, yeah, I, 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 as of right now, I think I like, uh, I think I like Bo Nix. I don't know. I, I, I'm rooting for Bo Nix because uh, he's a good kid. He's an Alabama kid, and I, I think he can. Um, really propel Oregon and Oregon man did, has any team looked better than Oregon not the <laughs> I other, mean, other, the uh, other night but I, I wow. think Colorado was kind of ballooned going in yeah um, and it and it burst in an unbelievable fashion well what was I your think, biggest surprise I mean this was such a great weekend in college football what what was your um, biggest surprise uh, in you know yeah, let's just leave it at that. Your biggest surprise. My biggest surprise. Um, 
Gee, that's a tough question. Um, I don't think either of us. I don't think either of us were surprised by Alabama. We both thought that they were going to come out and play well. I don't know. Uh, I have to pause after that first interception, and then we took a couple sacks that I think he could have thrown the ball away. So I'm not really sure. Uh, I was surprised after that, but going in, I thought Alabama would finally become Alabama, particularly up front. But um, I was surprised. Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. There was just a lot of college football, and I, I, I guess I was a little surprised that Ohio State was able to come back and beat Notre Dame. Um, I was um, unpleasantly surprised because I really liked Dabo, and I wanted him to come back and hold on and win that game. But did you see any of it? The fumble turned everything around. Yeah, it did. And uh, I want to go to Justin really quick. Justin, I know we're really short on time. Uh, Your takeaway from the uh, Alabama Ole Miss game, your big takeaway. Big takeaway is defense is going to carry us through the rest of the season. I think the offense will learn and and get better, but we're going to rely on the defense the rest of the way. Very succinctly and um, appropriately and spot on. Thanks, Adroitly, yes. Huh? You talking about a phone? (laughs) All right. We'll move on. Um, We'll have a good show for you Tuesday. Thank you, Lars. Thank you, Justin. We'll wrap things up. And thank Haley Sansing, Union All Mortgage, for sponsoring this show. Appreciate it.